Hi, everyone. Good afternoon. This is Lex Kramer. I'm the marketing manager over at JobSync. We're very excited today to be here with our pals over at PivotCX to review the uh, best in class candidate engagement recruiting benchmark report. Um, you're in for a treat. We've got some really awesome numbers and some really cool stats to review with you today from some of the top industries um, and specifically some of the job titles within those industries. So we're really going to be breaking down some awesome numbers for you today. Uh, to help keep your best practices in line, improve your candidate experience, all of the fun things that come um, with utilizing SMS uh, during your hiring process. Um, like Mike said, today we are being um, joined with Leah Daniels. She is the Chief Commercial Officer here at JobSync. And of course, Mike introduced himself. He's the Chief Technical Officer over at PivotCX. They're going to be jumping into all of these great numbers. Um, and before they do, we're gonna have a quick little slide to talk about what JobSync and Pivot do. And what I'm going to do is hand it over to Leah to kick off to start about that. And then Mike can give a little shout out about Pivot and we will hop right into some awesome takeaways and talk about some candidate engagement rates. So enjoy. Thanks, Lex. Good morning, everyone. Good afternoon, depending on which coast you happen to be on. Uh, excited to be here. Um, as Lex mentioned, my name is Leah Daniels, and I am the Chief Commercial Officer um, at JobSync. Uh, in my last 20 years, I've held many hats and many roles in various uh, recruiting technology companies, and I get really excited about the data specifically that we get to pull out of these companies. JobSync, for those of you who don't know, is an organization that is really focused on optimizing your conversion between uh, the Indeeds and ZipRecruiters, where you spend a lot of your media dollars and into your ATS. So taking advantage of the easy apply functionality that exists in those uh, job sites, but emulating your ATS questions and questionnaires right there in the easy apply. That gives you access to lots more candidates and allows you to convert at oftentimes a two to five X uh, rate over what you would normally see. So love making everybody's day better when we get more candidates for your dollars. And we're happy to talk about that um, at your all convenience. I want to hand it to Mike right now for a quick run through on Pivot, and then we're going to jump into the data. Sure. So I'm Mike Seidel. I'm the Chief Technical Officer here at Pivot CX and one of the one of the co-founders here. And uh, our software is used by all kinds of different companies to connect candidates to live human-to-human -human conversations and uh, live bot-to-human kind of conversations. So we kind of do both. And uh, our software is really built around the whole idea of connecting all of your candidate sources into live one-to-one -one kind of communication funnels. So we try to make it really, really easy for recruiters to connect with candidates faster because we know this in this market, uh, you know, if you want to hire the best talent, you have to be able to pick first. And so I'll go ahead and turn it over and... Uh, uh, to Leah and we'll get we'll get rolling here. All right, so we're going to do a little bit of the lay of the land. We're going to take a moment and talk about the data itself, which I'm super excited about. Um, we have some key takeaways and then we'll wrap up with a little bit of how we work together. Um, as uh, I'm not sure if we've mentioned it yet, but if we haven't, there's a chat function in um, the webinar panel that should be at the top of your screen. Feel free to ask questions um, and we will try to do our best to either answer them as we go or uh, wrap up at the end with the Q&A. So let's get a lay of the land. I think this is always an important place to start when we start talking about the world. Um, and for those of you who haven't been keeping track like I have, we have about 160 million US workers right now. It's uh, the last two months of 2022. So what does that mean? 
That means we're actually down a little bit over two years ago. Um, we did lose a whole bunch of people in the US workforce to retirement more than we gained from the schools and, and exiting students. Um, but what does that really mean to us? Well, it means how do we wanna engage with these people? How do we find these people? How do we make these workers into candidates, right? And so one of the things that uh, I wanted to point out to everyone is that about 93% of US workers have a smartphone with them. It's about 148 million of the US workforce. That's an interesting stat if you really think about it because for those of you who are old like me can remember our Blackberries and being like kind of unique by having one, right? Not every worker had a cell phone that they brought to work every day and could interact with anything on the internet. Um, about 66% of the US workforce actually use their smartphone at work. That means they're readily accessible and you can get to these people, right? Um, just a little bit more data, that's fun. 192 million people last year used their mobile phone on Indeed. Now you might say to yourself, how is that possible? We only have 160 million workers. Well, there's two right ways that's possible. One, that they got a new phone. And so the, 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 the tracking that Indeed has was you know, not perfect. Um, second is some people actually have two cell phones. So it's important to remember that um, it's not a one phone world anymore. Um, a few more data points that I think are really good for us to root into. Um, my friends at AppCast, uh, where I have previously worked, um, report out this year that 4.05% of apply clicks um, to a career site turn into an application. So if you have 100 people looking at your jobs, you're lucky to get four of them through your gauntlet. That is a pretty staggering number because if you think about that one step further, you paid for those under 96 clicks that you didn't get. Um, and my friends at Indeed uh, have reported out that 20% of apply clicks on their easy apply turn into applications. So really there's a big opportunity here when you start thinking about the US workforce, you think about the big job sites, you think about cell phone usage and career sites. The question is how do we make the best out of all of these things, right? How do we not um, get by, but really accelerate our options so that we can do a better job meeting candidates where they wanna be found. Mike, so, do you want to jump in on anything there? Quick, I have a quick question for you, Leah, on this. Sure. You know, so what, what it looks like to me for, for a lot of companies, and this is this is something for me, I came from outside of the industry. I came in, I had an ad agency where we did traditional marketing. And so when I look at some of the numbers, it blows my mind when I see 4% of people that apply and go to a career site or click apply, go to a career site, 4.05% of them actually finish that application. But if you had accepted an Indeed apply or a Zip apply or some other easy apply on the job board, you would have literally for the same spend got five times more candidates. Is that is that what you're, you're showing here? Absolutely. But, and this is an important thing to remember, there's a difference in the, in the what information you get on those two stats, right? So in the first stat, you're getting a full application, you're getting all of your compliance, your EEOC questions, your uh, legal disclosures, your knockout questions. Are you uh, over 18? Do you have a valid US driver's license? Whatever things you might want to know are coming into that 4.5%, where that 20% is really a skinny, skinny apply. It's first name, it's last name, it's an Indeed resume or a Zip resume or whatever you might have there. Um, and an uh, email address and a phone number, right? Really thin data which for a lot of recruiters isn't actually enough to be able to do something with. So we're kind of in a, in a weird spot here where you can be Goldilocks, right? You can either have it too hot or too cold, but there's no just right answer in the, you know, the lay of the land as most recruiters see it. 
Um, I want to take what you just said though and take it a step further. Sure. Um, I do love a good funnel. Um, so just kind of looking at the hiring funnel, what I did here was try to show with what we were just talking about, what this looks like when it turns into um, real numbers, right? So a thousand apply clicks, all things being held equal. Um, the first funnel is uh, your traditional career site plus your um, traditional email based on the email data that we have available, right? That we would expect a thousand apply clicks to turn into 40 career site applies to turn into eight responses. Now, I think that number might be a little low for some industries, it might be a little high for others, but in general, we should see about eight. When you start to think about the world through a different lens, if you could take what um, I was showing you with the 20% number and actually marry it to one of some of the things that JobSync's doing, you should expect to see somewhere in the neighborhood of 200 uh, quick applies, which would turn into about 116 text responses if you were to then follow it through the, the, the path there, right? So what does that mean? That means your dollars went from getting you eight candidates to 116 engaged candidates. It's a really different world, right? When you think about these numbers this way, that's really accelerating how your dollars can work for you. And so we want to talk a lot about um, that. But in particular, this is the data we used, um, Mike, and you know this, of course, on how we got to this next set of data that we're going to share. Um, one more torturous slide, I promise. <laughs> and good stuff. So what is that telling us, right? How much work is it, right? Email communication is a lot of work for our recruiter friends. Um, uh, unintegrated easy applies are actually quite a lot of work for our recruiter friends. In fact, I think there's so much work, a lot of the recruiters just won't use them because doing the double data entry and cut and paste work is monotonous, it's tedious. Or getting the masked email addresses, which can be really challenging if you don't have an actual email to the person, but rather a job board given email, right? Right. Um, where, you know, integrating that easy play right into your ETS and getting all that data into your ETS with a real email is high value, much lower work on your recruiter. And automating text messaging, also much lower work on your recruiter. So let's talk about this benchmark. So this is the exciting part. So, so and, and a little bit about Leah. She, she's uh, kind of the mind behind AppCast's state of the market report. That, and so when I got a chance to work with her on this, I was really excited. And Leah and I looked at 500,000 job applies from apply to high, from high to interview, to see what happened. And all of these conversations were TCPA compliant uh, applications. So that means we got their IP address, they were consented, opted out. And um, we, we did, in other words, we did everything the right way. And uh, so what we're gonna share with you now is really a, a select set of, of, of the findings from analyzing almost a half a million applies. Super exciting. And I promise we didn't look at every one individually. It was all in the aggregate. Um, thank goodness. But I think more importantly, right, this is demonstrating sort of the best case scenario. So I feel like a lot of times when we look at data, aggregate data, we're really looking at sort of the like middle of the road. What could, you know, what's maybe possible? What's the median look like? When we look at this, although we are taking um, the average, and we're looking at the different percentile marks, really, this, uh, this funnel we've created is sort of the best of the best. So when we say benchmark in this world, we're really talking about something you should be aiming for, right? This is, to reach these numbers is actually um, feasible, but it's also what you want, right? You want to be able to do this. You don't want to give it that discount factor of, oh, my organization can't do that because these things are the best of the best, but they're also attainable. 
So let's start with overall. Mike, do you want to start here? Sure. So, so big, big picture. Um, you know, we do a lot of texting at Pivot CX, and one of the things that's a real head scratcher for me is why you would want to use email. And the reason for that is right out of the gate, the engagement rates that we get when we talk to candidates with SMS are three times better than email. In fact, we we can only compare open rates in email uh, with conversation rates in texting. So, so when I talk about engaged. That means that there's a two-way conversation happening. That means we actually started a conversation and are talking back and forth. Um, with email, all we can do is go, somebody opened an email and clicked on a link maybe. So texting really is effective. You know, you get to almost 60% of your candidates um, just by switching to text. Um, and then if you look at every one of the numbers we're going to present to you, we're going to show you not just um, not just the best, but we're also going to show you what kind of middle of the road is and what bad is. So you get a really good idea of, of the different, uh, different areas we can go into. The other thing that's really important about this with texting is that it's super fast compared to email and telephone. Um, you know, it can take days to get a hold of somebody by telephone. We measure email open rates after 24 hours usually. With text messaging, uh, we typically see 90% of candidates engage in less than 15 minutes. That means they applied, we said hi, 15 minutes later, we're talking. I mean, that's crazy if you think about it, right? Because in uh, an email-based world where you have full application, you're, you're, you're manually writing these emails, or even if you're automating the email, you're often looking at response rates of days, not 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 a worst case scenario. I mean, over over here with texting, we're talking about minutes and hours. It's just a different game. And uh, the other thing that goes with this is texting is a lot more efficient for the recruiter. Um, we we when we look at study of productivity of a recruiter who switches from email and, and phone to texting, we see that they can talk to almost 250 candidates in a day, whereas with uh, email and phone, they're lucky to talk to maybe 20. Wow, that's crazy. That's a that's a that's a force multiplier, right? That's when we start thinking about how do we really squeeze out more efficiency in the process. This is a great example. So um, let's let's take a look at how it breaks down across different industries. All right, let's go start with a high point. It's also the first letter in the alphabetization of our industries, um, but it's a really important one because uh, the education space is a good example of a place where we have a worker shortage, right? In fact, a lot of these categories we're gonna talk about, we have worker shortages in. Um, and education, I think uh, the data I saw last updated was there's 110,000 person shortage in 2019 for K to 12 teachers. And if you think about that, um, this is before the pandemic. So going into the pandemic, we were already in a shortage for teachers. And then we saw a, a the slew of retirements. And this is actually a theme across all of the US workforce is that in the last two years, the retirement, uh, the number of people who've retired has accelerated in part because many people were holding back retirement and waiting and working longer. Um, and then they have all sort of decided to retire while um, those who we expected to retire have also done it. Add in, we're not creating enough babies and we have a worker shortage, right? And the teacher shortage is a particularly acute one. Um, like I said, we have about 110 going into the pandemic. It's higher now. 55% um, of teachers are reporting that they want to um, retire early or they want to exit the industry entirely. Um, and the last, I think, really important element here for education to remember is that we're dealing with a wage gap challenge as well. So when we look at what 
teachers are paid on average as compared to similarly educated people, they're running almost 20% behind. So further adding to the, the desire to exit the industry. So what does that have to do with all of this, right? That's always the good question. Mike, when I think about all this data on the gaps and the shortages and how do we fix it, it's not about being able to get to everyone or to fix the, the shortage problem. Each individual company is in a race to beat whoever else is competing for those, those uh, available people and get to them first, right? To engage with them most quickly, to get from that moment they find your opportunity to the moment they sign on the dotted line and start working for your business. So how do we condense the timeline so you minimize the opportunity for them to go somewhere else? Would you, uh, would you agree that's the, that's the Absolutely. game Absolutely. When I look at education and the, and the clients that we have that are that are hiring teachers and hiring educators, the biggest challenge there is convincing the client that they have to go faster. Um, it's typical to see response times uh, from recruiters of days and weeks, and you really have minutes to engage. So if you look at this, what's really fascinating is that when we send out a message to somebody in education, uh, the response usually happens within seconds. And, and if we're, we're getting slow response, it's taking less than 10 minutes to engage. Think about this. How many people could be hired if you were able to actually talk to that candidate 10 minutes after they apply and get them in for an interview? It would change the game for most schools and, and really help because I, I think the biggest problem education is having right now is the teachers are taking jobs outside of education. You know, my wife is a teacher yeah. and last night she was telling me that she was really thinking about maybe doing something different next school year because, um, well, she's not enjoying her job as much as she used to and um, she'd get paid better. Yeah, well, and, and learning, development, learning and development in organizations is becoming a bigger and bigger part of companies. And they like to hire teachers, right? They already understand how to control a room and keep an audience and build content that's consumable in bite-sized chunks. So you start thinking about those transferable skills and where you see you know, people leaving education, where they're going is often into the learning and development. Um, I actually hired one uh, a teacher as a sales engineer quite a few years ago. She was tech, super technical. She'd gone to coding school and um, she made for an like, excellent sales engineer. Um, and so, you know, we are seeing these transferable skills come out of education where they can make up that 20% wage gap and start to make more money um, in a different world. Than you know, Leah, the sad thing is on the low end of the, the teacher pay scale, a lot of small rural school systems and smaller school systems are competing with warehousing and manufacturing jobs now because the pay has went up so much. So, you know, education, if you want to hire the best talent, you got to go really, really, really fast. And, yep. and if you look at what we're showing here, you can reach your candidates. 71% of them will talk to you if you are able to talk to them quickly. Yep. And they, another uh, a group of people who may not be on their phone all the time, but the number of them that have Apple watches, very responsive. All right. Uh, if education wasn't painful enough, let's talk about healthcare. Sure. Uh, <laughs> uh, as if everyone doesn't know there's a nurse shortage here in the United States. Um, it's actually expected to get worse, right? This does not have an end in sight. In fact, uh, nursing continues to grow as an occupation. Um, it's expected to be one of the top three occupations in terms of growth uh, by 2029. We are expecting another 7% increase in need. So we need to find an additional 221,000 people. 
um, on top of uh, generally need to hire about 175,000 nurses and other uh, healthcare professionals each year. So we need to start thinking about this industry very differently. And I know um, so many hospital organizations are thinking about it. It's a top of mind problem. How do we continue to fill that funnel? You know, going into the pandemic, we were looking at a 0.4% unemployment rate for doctors and a, a sub 2% unemployment rate for nurses. So you can't go into the unemployment pool to find these people. And we do have to educate them, right? We're, we're also running into a challenge in healthcare, as I'm sure you all know, that um, by limiting the visas into the United States, uh, especially the work visas, we actually lost a big source of nurses and uh, doctors in, in the U.S. as the U.S. does rely on outside countries' talent to fill our healthcare needs. So we've got a big gap here. And um, again, like I said, with, with education, the goal is not to, to be able for all of us to educate more, although I would really love if we could. The goal is how do we take the candidates that are available and make them engaged with us faster? Well, and that's where the story gets really good. If, if we're looking at speed of engagement, you know, first off, um, if you look at job applies, um, and we looked at a huge number of, of uh, healthcare workers across a couple different job titles, and this is, this is really important. The healthcare crunch isn't just nursing and doctors. It's also every supporting role that you would find in healthcare. So everything from the person manning the front desk, dietary aides, nutritional people, um, you know, uh, in-home caregivers that maybe even aren't even, you know, CNAs and even people that are just there to help people uh, get out of bed and that kind of thing. The whole healthcare industry really is, is, is challenged to find people. And so as we looked at this, what we found was, first off, out of everybody who applies for the job, 53.3% will engage. And on average, it takes them three minutes and three seconds to engage with you. So that means if you're taking an application, let's say you get one on Indeed, they come in, you automatically say hi with a text message. Three minutes later, you could be talking to that candidate. They will respond back to you. Um, it's a little slower average than what we saw um, before with education. You know, the, the healthcare has been competitive for quite some time. And um, so, so it is a little slower to get responses out of nurses than it is other, other categories. But and on the whole, um, you know, you're looking at it slow as less than 15 minutes to start a conversation. That that's still amazing to me. So yeah, and one of the things that we have found at JobSync with healthcare organizations that we work with is um, the the phone call that we get the week after we turn JobSync on and we start pulling um, full applications out of Indeed and ZipRecruiter and Talent.com and Telru and you know, Monster and so forth, um, integrated right into the ATS. The phone call is always oh my gosh, we've gotten more applicants this week than we've ever gotten before, which is quite the quote, right? That's an amazing opportunity for um, healthcare companies because while engaging with these candidates as fast as possible is super important, finding out who they are, right, is the first step. You've got to know who these people are and you need to get them into your, into your swing. So getting engagement at the job board level where they are already at is really important for making that next step, which is engaging them. Really and it, it really, really says a lot, Leah, to where, where do you put screening in that, that flow? Because a lot of, a lot of the old school thinking was screen everybody right when they apply. And maybe that's not the right way to do it right now. And there's, there's a couple of good reasons, uh, maybe to look at screening after the initial uh, apply. And that is number one, you can build a database of nurses in the location that you want to hire in. So you're able to reach out to these people and re-engage them. 
Um, we do we do a ton of work with text re-engagement, and it's super effective in healthcare, um, especially compared to lots of other industries. The other the other piece with that that it's just so so important um, is that most healthcare workers know that it's a competitive market, and they are not going to be patient with your 16-page full-on job application in your Taleo. They are not going to do five little dots across the top of the screen. Um, we keep hearing about, and I, um, I believe Sherm put this out, and I, I might be misspeaking here, um, that, that issue of um, ETS fatigue, right? So you sort of touched on a couple of things there, Mike, right? One oh, is yeah. get, get who these people are. What we find is that when you try to re-engage them back into the rest of the application, there is a massive fatigue factor where they open that thing up and they see the ATS, and it's just like, nope, nope. Nope. So no, and that, can't, that candidate wants to know that if they're going to invest the time to fill in that application, that there's something at the end, you know, there's, there's something at the end of the tunnel that isn't being ignored. Um, yeah. And, and I think it's just so important, uh, so important, especially in healthcare to really look at alternate ways to get applications in and maybe not try to screen everybody right away on the first pass. We can screen them. We, you know, you can screen them out as they go through a process and, uh, you can't hire somebody that you're not talking to. And if the first thing you do is not talk to two thirds of your candidates that you could have, you're probably losing a lot of the best candidates you could be hiring. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting trade-off, right? Because in healthcare, a lot of times they want, they need to have all those questions answered in order to know they want to re-engage, right? It's definitely mm -hmm. a balance. Um, we have a healthcare company that has nearly 40 questions that are all um, part of their apply on the um, job sites and they're getting those candidates through at a high volume. So I think part of it isn't always just the number of questions. It is a little bit about where the questions are asked and what part of the process. Absolutely. Uh, let's jump into uh, manufacturing, which is really interesting because it's one of the industries that's in decline in terms of its needs yet still has a worker shortage, right? So we've seen in uh, the manufacturing space, this decrease about a half percent year over year and has been pretty consistent for the last decade, but that's slowed down. Previously, we were running at nearly a two and a half percent decrease in the manufacturing need for laborers and for workers. A lot of that's due to automation, right? The, the our robots replacing us, that fear, well, the answer is yes, the robots are replacing some jobs, right? And manufacturing is a great example where we see a lot of robots and robotic processes replacing very manual um, positions. Now, the question is, is that really a bad thing, right? We're in, a, we're in a worker shortage across the board. Is it really a bad thing if we're automating, um, you know, low skill, high intensity labor type roles? Um, and what we're seeing, I think, is the answer is actually, no, it's a good thing that happened because we would really be in a tough spot if those were still all being done by human hands. What's really interesting to me, though, is in the manufacturing space, we've seen this huge increase in high skill roles, right? When you talk to manufacturing organizations and you say, what is the big pain point? They say the skills gap. They are having a skills gap problem, too. And while most companies are thinking manufacturing warehouse very, very much labor-intensive, low-skilled jobs, when we move to automation and all of these robotics, they've actually become high-skilled positions and higher-paying positions, and yet still trying to find these folks can be very difficult. Um, 
So when we start to see this engagement, I think Mike, you probably want to jump in here. Look at that response rate in the top percentage. They're manufacturing uh, to us, at least doing doing texting and and text response work has been um, one of the areas where we, we saw early and, and very rapid, huge success. And uh, the reason is the workers, you can reach them on their mobile phone very easily. The response rates really high, 60% will, will engage in a conversation with you within two minutes and 16 seconds when they apply. That's pretty crazy. And even if, uh, you know, if you look at, at uh, the top tier of that, people will, if uh, you send a message out right after they apply, they will respond to that message 30% of the time, less than a second. It's crazy how fast that that you can engage with manufacturing talent. And the thing that it really does lead to is better hiring outcomes, because the faster you can get your candidates through the funnel, the more likely you are to hire the people that do have the skills that you need. Um, And the the reason speed is so important is you're competing with every manufacturer a lot of the skills in manufacturing transfer directly into the warehousing and logistics space. So you're dealing with a, a very large number of employers that can hire these people. And uh, it just makes a huge difference. If you're reaching out quickly and, and engaging, you're going to have a shot at those highly skilled ones that, that have the certifications, have the, the skills that you need in your facility. So uh, manufacturing has been absolutely uh, poster child for, hey, why don't, why don't you switch over to using texting to maybe respond to these candidates instead of email? I can tell you this, most people that work in a factory do not take a laptop computer with them to work. They do take a phone. Um, so I just had this moment, I realized we should take a step back here, Mike. Sure. And, um, just explain a little bit about this data. Yeah. Uh, sorry, the, the math nerd in me is coming out. So everybody hold on. Um, you'll notice that our, our average response time is two minutes and 16 seconds, but you might notice that the 50th percentile sits at 20 seconds and that bottom 90th percentile sits at a minute and 45. So this is the difference between averages and medians, as we all know. So what we're looking at here in the curve is really the median where, you know, what is the 50th percentile from the median perspective where we took the whole list of everybody who responded to manufacturing, where's that very middle spot and what was the amount of time on that one? That's the 20 seconds. But the average can be impacted by those laggards, right? And so we know on that bottom 10% after the 90th, beyond the 90th, we could have days or weeks factoring into the data, which is going to drag that um, average response time up. Is that, Mike, did I do a good job with my math? I think so. I think you did a great job of explaining that. Um, you know, if any, by the way, if anybody has questions as we're going, feel free to just at, go ahead and ask in our chat or put your hand up and we'll try to address them as we go. Uh, awesome. Thank you for letting me nerd out everybody. Continue on now. Uh, let's talk about, this is one of my favorite industries. Um, it's my favorite industry because it's actually very similar to, to staffing, right? Which is, uh, for those of you who don't know, I come from a staffing technology background and Personal care, right? Hairstylists, cosmetology, all of Harvard's hairdressers, this whole group of folks are equated to revenue. If you don't have a person standing on the floor doing the job, you are not making money because it's a one-on-one service. It's very linear to dollars for your business. And so being able to track industries like this is super helpful to understand the entire market in terms of what is um, revenue to, to, to workers looking like right now in the market. Um, and so when you look at this particular um, industry, and, and I guess you should probably do personal masseuses in here, there's a whole whole group of folks who have very similar type businesses. When you start to look at these folks, they often um, 
aren't W-2 employees either. So we have this separate sort of idea where they're often independent. And so they really control a lot of their schedule in terms of what uh, the number of hours they work, have a lot more independence than you have in a lot of other industries, um, which might lead us to some interesting data if you look at it, right? Um, Mike, you wanna jump here? Sure. So. Um... I love this category too. And there's, there's something else about the data that's really different about this profession versus others. And that's that the total number of licensed cosmetologists and barbers in the United States, actually a known number. There's only, there's less than a million of them total. And so if you're, you're looking at this market, um, it's very competitive. There's lots of places they can practice their trade. So if uh, you want to reach uh, cosmetologists, you want to reach barbers and, and, and those, those uh, personal care titles, Texting is really interesting because you're going to get over two thirds of the candidates will respond and have a conversation with you within 10 minutes of when they apply for a job, if you will let them. Um, it's pretty amazing how, how fast they respond. We do a ton of work in the cosmetology world. And um, the, the first thing that happens uh, a lot of times with our clients is they, they understand that it's hard to hire people, but what they're not understanding is how quickly the, the candidates, how quickly the stylists are expecting to get answers and how much feedback they're expecting to get from, uh, from the employer. And so the faster that you engage with them and the faster you, you kind of go from apply to high and then high to interviewing in the salon, the better off you're going to be. Um, it just makes a huge difference. And, and the, the engagement rate is just staggering to get 66% uh, of people to actually have a conversation within 10 minutes. That's a number you can't ignore. That's amazing. Um, I think we have a couple more industries that we were going to cover today. Um, so I want to make sure we have time for all of them. Um, we grabbed the technology industry and we did this for lots of reasons, but one of them is it's really a good representation of the white collar space. A lot of the data we're showing today is very blue collar workers or, or hourly workforce. Healthcare is obviously not a uh, blue collar industry, but it is an hourly industry where technology is really getting us into the salaried employees. We've got a lot of education in here. And these folks really think about the world through a different lens. Um, one of the things that I thought was super interesting about the technology space is that we are seeing, you know, and we've been seeing this specialization of developers and different skill sets, right? You, you're a Python developer, you're a Ruby on Rails, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but we've not seen as a specialization of recruiters to the degree in which those technologists expect us to. So one of the sort of takeaways for me as I was doing some of this research is that recruiting is not keeping pace with technology, right? We, or with these technology workers. We want our recruiters to be generalists. Um, even technical recruiters are generalists. Um, but these developers and these, these technology people don't want that. They want to be able to talk shop and really know that the recruiter they're talking to understands what this person will be working on. Is it something they are they find interesting? Second thing I found that's super interesting is that uh, there's a recent study that said 42% of companies need to update their tech stack um, over the next 10 years. Well, that makes sense because technology is moving so fast. But what does that really mean? What well, actually means we need developers and, and, and um, technology people who have, uh, are in two different categories. Uh, I think, uh, I don't know if many of you guys were paying attention, but as the pandemic set in and that fateful month of uh, April hit and unemployment skyrocketed to 20%, a lot of the state systems were failing because they were written in cold fusion. And for those of you who are super technical nerds, you might know that cold fusion isn't a, isn't a language that most people develop in anymore. In fact, most people who know how to develop in cold fusion have already retired. 
So we ran into this interesting problem where we have a tech stack that needs to be maintained while we figure out how to do a new thing. Um, and we don't have the bodies to do that. And so really getting into the specialization and understanding how to communicate with these folks. So not just where, but what you say is really important in this particular group. Um, one more sort of data point just for you guys to, to chew on here. Um, by 2028, we expect another 12% growth in this space. So we're looking at a bigger sh shortage of uh, uh, workers in, in technology as well. And um, right now that's estimated to be $162 billion in lost revenue if we don't figure out how to make up this gap. It's, that's a, it's a huge gap. Um, you know, and, and by profession, I'm a software developer. So I, I, I'm enjoying listening to this because I hear my salary going up. Um, <laughs> but- I think it's not like 66% of developers will leave for a higher salary. They, they will. And this is, this is where it gets important because really your opportunity to recruit developers comes from two places. One are people that are in the tech industry. There's an immense amount of built-in churn because it's a very project-oriented industry. And so when we work with recruiting developers with texting, it gets interesting because we have some of these places like we've done projects for game developers. We've done projects where we've been trying to recruit uh, and, and engage via text, VR developers, metaverse developers, if you will. And, and in, in all those cases, there's a built-in churn from people that are on a project and then the project gets to a finish point and the company is only going to retain a certain number of developers. And the problem is their salaries are high, so they get cut. And so there's always a pool of active candidates out there that are going to job boards like Indeed and applying. And if you can engage them and screen them quickly, you can find some great talent. And uh, we, we've had great success with texting and, and engineering talent. If you look at the engagement numbers, you're going to engage with half the people that apply for a job. They're going to respond to you within three minutes and 52 seconds or so, about four minutes. Um, and if you think about it, tech is one of the slowest to hire categories. Most companies' recruitment process between the time when they start the recruiting process and decide, hey, I need the developer, and when they actually say, here's an offer, go about 43 days. And so if you look at the funnel, almost all of it is just waiting to accumulate enough sourced candidates and enough job applies that you've got a few interesting ones. If you take texting and put it right in the top of the funnel, you know, go apply, hi, conversation. You can talk with candidates and hire them three, four weeks before your competitors for the same hire even start trying to reach out to the candidate. It's amazing um, just how, how much speed can change the game for you in just about every local market we went into. If you go fast, you can get, these, you can get great development talent. If you go slow, um, all that's left are the ones you really don't want. Yep. Or none at all. Ah. So going to the, oh, other the big side, one. Oh, trucking. <laughs> um, everybody's industry to, to, to recruit for, right? Uh, last, uh, last I checked, we were running at about an 80,000 person gap in the trucking space. And I find trucking recruiting to be fascinating because I think more than any other industry, the trucking space has really adopted um, mass marketing options, right? They trucking operates and trucking recruiting operates in uh, in a fashion where you realize that um, you know you can adapt as an industry when you have to. And trucking is a great example, right? They know that finding folks who are, who are already licensed who want to take their job and switch uh, organizations or who are already independent 
is really hard. And so we see these organizations who really leaned into training and, and, and growing um, their employees, right? So, so bringing them through the training process. Um, we know that this trucking shortage is actually gonna get worse. We think uh, it will increase to about 160,000 person gap by 2030. Um, but in order to keep, maintain, which is actually the bigger problem, which is the number of people who are retiring out of trucking, right? Trucking is a, is a hard business. It's a hard on your body. You're, you know, especially long haul truck drivers gone for weeks on end. They sleep in the trucks. Um, it's, it's a tough life. And so we're going to need to recruit an extra million new drivers to cover this retirement gap, right? So the, the trucking space is not done having this uh, squeeze. And while there's been promises of autonomous vehicles and autonomous trucking, you know, most of us know that the, um, the legislation to support that is going to be slow. And so covering this gap, you know, isn't going to be done by autonomous vehicles. It's going to be done by more humans. Yeah, I think, Leah, the thing a lot of people that, that maybe don't recruit uh, truck drivers don't understand is, is that, that it really is driven by regulation and, and insurance. Yeah, uh, you can't insure young young CDL drivers in a lot of states, so they can't really quickly add people to the the community. And the problem that they're having in trucking is the average age of a, a truck driver is um, well over fifty years old, and yeah. and because of the age of the workforce, there's just a certain set of problems. So if you're trying to hire, you know, you're trying to hire truck drivers, it doesn't matter if it's CDLB, CDLA, um, any any of those the biggest challenge is speed it's how do you engage with those truck drivers that are ready to make a change right when they want to make that change and so if you look at the the stats on this there is something interesting in trucking about texting and that's that the uh, response times are a little slower in trucking than other industries and that's because uh texting and driving is highly frowned upon so they usually don't respond until they get to a place where the the vehicle is stopped so you get a little slower response but Still, the best way to reach a trucker is going to be with a text message. You're going to see 56% of those candidates are going to want to engage with you. And really, you know, the average is three minutes, 52 seconds. Um, they engage quite quickly when they do. So if you want a chance to hire, you know, a trucker, you can't hire somebody if you're not talking to them. The best way I know of to talk to them, at least initially, is with a text message. Yep, I agree with you 100%. And, and one of the things, I don't think you mentioned this, but you know, truckers are allowed to drive for a certain amount of time, and then they're not. They have to sort of just stay stationary for some period of time, um, you know, usually in their truck or in a hotel or you know, travel stop, whatever it might be. And what do they do during that time? They're on their phones, right? So the phone really is a, a huge, powerful vehicle, no pun intended, in the trucking space. <laughs> Um, so we've got our last industry here we're going to cover, and then we're going to take run our, through our takeaways. Um, well, this is this is a really big category, and it's for, at least for me being where I'm at in the Midwest, Indianapolis, Indiana is is absolutely a logistics town. Yeah, um, it's one and, of the two largest. Did you know this? I did. Yeah. Oh, all right, well, yeah, I'm it's uh, crossroads of America, all mm -hmm. that stuff. But um, the internet interstate highway system was built around Indy, so um, we have a ton of of logistics here. And um, it's a huge category and it's going to grow a lot, especially as retail uh, retail is, is kind of losing out to Amazon and some of the online, uh, online uh, merchants. And so you're gonna see over time more and more logistics, more and more warehousing, and it's gonna become more and more important. So there, you have some great numbers on this, Leah. So uh, if you wanna go ahead and jump yeah, in. I think, you know, one of the interesting things about, you know, warehouse employees right now, we're 
about 2 million people in the United States are employed as a warehouse employee. And I think you mentioned Indianapolis and Houston, Texas is actually the sec the other, you know, the two largest um, concentrations of, of warehouses and warehouse workers. Um, but warehousing is a, is a function we see across the United States, right? Rain, sun, doesn't matter. We need as a consumer country, warehouses are a very important part of our sort of world that we live in. Well, it's how, it's how Amazon gets your package there like uh, five hours from now, right? Amazing. Like just push that button so fast. Um, but what I think is interesting is that, you know, our average age of an employee or of, of a warehouse worker is um, 39 years old. And I think that a lot of people think that they're much younger. I think a lot, of, a lot of us have a recruiting bias. And we see this in a, you know, in a, in a variety of industries. We have this recruiting bias of what we think um, workers look like in terms of their age, right? And, their, and their, where they might work and what their compensation might look like. And warehouse workers, I think on average are, are older than we would expect. Similarly, nursing is another good example, right? We have a very large uh, retirement ready group of people in the nursing uh, industry that we forget about, I think, and, and we're not always paying attention to that. You know, there is one, one piece of data, Leah, that just really makes me happy because I, I've got four daughters and, uh, that is the the stats on earnings. You know, if you look at what women yes. earn, it, there's, the gap has been closed a lot. Yeah, unfortunately, the the warehouse workers are mostly men. Um, only about nineteen percent of warehouse workers are are identifying as women. Um, but the wage gap is not almost not existed. In twenty twenty one, women did earn ninety nine percent of what men earned in the warehouse space. All things being equal, which is a you know, yay. For one industry, lots of work to do on the rest. Uh, we're still oh, yeah. significantly behind. Here we are in, uh, uh, you know, Women's History Month, but we've got a lot of work to do, and you know, it's good to see that it is being starting to be handled. Um, should we run into our takeaways and then wrap? This I think up? so. I think we're we're kind of running low on time, and we want to be respectful of our audience here. So let's just jump right in. All right. So, um, and again, if you guys have questions, please put them in the chat. We'll try to answer them um, as we wrap up. Uh, so first takeaway that I kind of came out of this uh, work that we did together, Mike, was time is money, right? Um, longer application processes, phone tag, all of these things lead to elongated recruiting processes. And those elongated processes turn into um, uh, just a leakage in the funnel, right? People just fall out of the funnel. Um, they opt out, they choose to continue, they take another job. So any place where we have an opportunity to condense that process means that our dollars that are putting into the market, either in terms of straight media dollars or in terms of time is going to um, have better fruit if we just sort of invest and think through that process. I think that's so important. You know, you know at Pivot CX, we, we have a tagline and it's pick first. And the reason we say that is because the best way to really win, if you're if you're hiring, the best way to win is to get to the offer first. And the reason for that is 90% of your candidates will take the first offer. Yeah, um, it's interesting. So I, again, I came out of the staffing industry and at one point um, the data said the 70% uh, of the time, the first person submitted to a job um, via staffing space, at least in the VMS space, um, got the job. 70% of the time, person one in. Like, that's a crazy stat. Um, it's again, it's a submission from a third party coming into an organization, but time really is important. Um, the second one we came to was eliminate barriers, right? Um, I was talking to someone the other day who said to me, oh, well, we like our hard process because we know they want to get 
to working for us. <laughs> That's lovely. You hire nurses. That should not be part of your vocabulary, right? You so we're hiring have... nursing. Let me get this right. We're, we're going to hire nursing talent based on their ability to put up with extra paperwork. Yes. Actually, maybe there's some, some logic there, but um, maybe I think but... that's an outdated method of thinking, right? That's outdated in um, it's something we saw become very popular in the various uh, uh, recession cycles that we went through when there were too many candidates, not enough jobs. But that's not the world we're in right now. And you know, we have to root into what we have today. What we have today is a world in which uh, there are twice as many jobs open as there are candidates on the unemployment market. There are um, lots of reasons for candidates to say no, and they are definitely leaning into that. It's, it's a candidate's market. And so the more barriers you put up is not helping you as a business, it's actually hurting you because the most desirable candidates aren't interested in participating in that uh, gauntlet that you've put in for them. So, and, you know, just to kind of tie this back to, to what we've been sharing on the data, one of the biggest barriers to, to, to hiring right now is communication. And we see this every day with new clients where they've been using phone and email, haven't been doing a lot of texting, haven't been doing a lot of communication and meeting the candidate where the candidate lives. Um, you've got to really look at the channel you're communicating and, and make sure it's going to reach the candidate. If you're sending emails, you're, you're already at a huge disadvantage. I mean, you're only going to, you're only going to be lucky to get 20% of the people to open your email. Meanwhile, whoever's recruiting with text is going to get 55 to 60% of those candidates to talk to them. El eliminate every barrier you can, be it apply, be it communication, make it so there's nothing in the way between you and great talent. Meet your candidates where they are. I think this is sort of where we're at, right? Candidates are not on your career site unless you've directed them there. They're on the job boards, right? We see the numbers. 197 million people were on Indeed or through one mechanism or another um, last year. That is where they're at. They're not going to your career site first. They're ending up there. So if that's where the candidate wants to be and that's where their engagement is highest, meet them at the job, you know, at, at the job posting where you're putting it and you're paying for that engagement. Same thing with the cell phone. I know that most people's email is on their cell phone. My email is on my cell phone, but yet I'm far more responsive to text messaging. The rules of engagement are different. Um, the expectations of how formal you are are different. The time it takes to formulate a response on a text message is significantly lower and the time it takes to formulate a response on an email. And so if candidates want to be in text, you should meet them in text. If they want to be on the job sites for their applications, you should meet them on the job sites. And our, our oh. next takeaway here, make your money go further. Um, and and I, I'll just say this, uh, we get a look at a lot of recruiting funnels at Pivot CX, and, and a lot of times the problems start right at the top of the funnel and yeah. how job boards are being used. Um, a lot of companies pour more and more and more money into that top of the funnel, and they append that to a process where they're only engaging with a tiny amount of the candidates that come through. And uh, a lot of times we've found that you don't necessarily need more volume. You just need to go faster once you get an application. It makes a really big difference. Um, pouring more money into the top of the funnel is only worth it. If, if you can back that up with a really good conversion rate and you're not going to run into a brick wall further down the process. Uh, Leah, we had a client, a really, really, really huge warehousing client that um, increased their spend in one market from about $3,000 a month to about 20,000 a month. 
and they got a huge surge in candidates. They went from a few hundred candidates a month applying to 5,000. And do you know what? They were only able to hire seven out of the 5,000 and they were only able to send, hire seven out of the 200. Their problem was their funnel, their capacity to hire was so low. And I think so often we look at things and go, I'm having a candidate flow problem. And the truth is we actually really have a candidate flow velocity problem. We're not able to push the candidates through our funnel fast enough. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, uh, there's sort of two, two things that I have in my head from what you're saying. The first is um, I have come from a world where I talk a lot about picking up nickels make your job, you know, your, your job title shorter, add more benefit statements, squeeze those pennies. And what ends up happening is you move your 4% apply rate to 4.2%. And um, one of the things that happens with JobSync is we help our customers double, triple, quadruple the number of candidates, which is amazing. Everybody's super excited about that, right? Till they hit the part where you're talking about, if we quadruple it, can you handle it? So a lot of what we do at JobSync is we talk to customers about how are you going to handle more candidates? Do you have the capacity to deal with that down funnel um, oh. uh, situation, which is something you want, except that are you ready to handle? And so that's an exciting yeah. thing to be able to talk to companies about. Talk about a good problem to have. Well, right? there, are, there are two huge opportunities in there. One is automation and JobSync. You guys do a great job with that, uh, you know, with automating the flow. The other huge opportunity to accelerate is to accelerate your ability to actually talk to candidates. Let's, let's, instead of talking to 20 or 30 people a day, let's make it so every recruiter can talk to 250, 300 candidates a day and see if that doesn't put a dent in the hundred recs down you are in, in uh, Las Vegas. You know, it just comes down to go faster if you want to hire more, but I just can't just reiterate again, you know, make your money go further, but think about it, not just about quantity, but think about speed. Yep. Well, thanks for the lead up for the last one here, right? Speed is key, right? You can't, you can't delay. You have to be in front of the candidates first. You need to engage them rapidly, and then you need to follow up with them efficiently, right? Candidates want to be um, acknowledged. They want to be recognized that they've applied, that they want to be part of your process, that they have raised their hand and being able to fold them in and move them through the funnel and, and make a decision with every candidate, super important, right? To get to that, that part where we can um, close recs, not in 93 days and not even in 45 days, but can we get to the world where we're making hires in one or two weeks um, in the professional space and even in less time in um, the hourly workforce? Uh, Folks who are still with us, I actually looks like most of you are, which is great. Um, if you have any questions, please put them in the chat. I think I see a couple that Mike, you and I are going to try to speed through in the next three minutes, if that's okay. And I think then we're going to call it a day. Yeah. So, um, you know, I guess to learn more about us, uh, jobsync.io and pivotcx.io, correct? Yep, definitely. Um, some questions that I'm seeing right here are... Um, Mike, are there, this is actually a text messaging question, are there best messages you should send um, like, is there, is there a style or a process that you should take if you're dealing with a niche type of role versus a high volume role? Do you guys look at the world through different um, wording in your messaging itself? Um, we do. We do adjust the wording of text messages to match the, the, to match the audience that we're expecting. Um, you know, if we're talking uh, mostly blue collar kind of stuff, we, we might use, uh, might use different verbiage than we would for, say, director of school or 
um, a teacher or a computer programmer. You, you just kind of have to meet your audience where there are. But the one big mistake we see everybody make with texting is being too formal across the board. Um, texting, it, it's 160 characters. Just say what you want. Uh, make, make, say what you need and make sure you, um, you know, if you can, if you're planning on responding to texts, ask questions so that people feel like they have to respond back to you. It really helps. Oh, like open-ended questions or yes, no questions? Well, you know what, what we've learned is that if you end a message with a question mark, you have about a 90% chance of getting a response. It doesn't matter if it's a yes or no or an open-ended. Um, that's an interesting statement. So one of the things that I did not get to talk about, um, but I want to mention just while we're on here around getting volume is the reason why easy applies and quick applies are so valuable is that mobile device. And I can't believe I forgot to say this at the beginning. Um, when you look at how candidates interact with jobs now, it's about 70% of the time they're on a mobile device. And the job sites, like, like my friends at Indeed, reward companies using a, uh, there was a, an Indeed apply functionality so that they can um, get to those candidates on the mobile devices, right? So we really want to think about when we're looking at how do we make our money grow further? How do we get to those, that inventory? How do we get to those candidates that are being withheld from us? Um, so we can get to the whole world, we have a better chance of engaging with them as they run the search. Um, so making sure we have a nice tight um, uh, job title. And then what you just said, which is super important, is make sure you understand your job posting is different than your requisition. So if the lawyers are writing your requisitions, they don't necessarily hopefully need to write your job postings as well. Can't you know what, Leah, I think, I think something I want to do wrote. one day, one day I want to do this with job postings is, is I want to... Uh, hire an opera singer to read some of the job postings. I find it random on Indeed. Just because I think they, that aside, that's the only hope you have of making it remotely interesting. Um, they're so bad. It just, it's an advertisement. Treat it like it's an ad, right? Absolutely. Um, we're at time. Mike, thank you so much for spending the hour with me chatting about all this goodness. Um, I'd like to thank everybody in the audience for your time. If you guys have questions, please feel free to reach out to us. We're going to send you guys first the the uh the full report we haven't sent it to anyone yet so you will be the first recipients and um we're excited that you spent the time with us thank you thanks so much everyone